It's time for Lawyers for Jesus, a show about the dynamic and exciting interaction of faith and the law. Featuring the attorneys from the law firm Malkin Baker in downtown Chicago. Malkin Baker is nationally known for defending freedom and for serving the people of faith. And now, Lawyers for Jesus. Hello and welcome to Lawyers for Jesus. I'm Soren Alehu, an attorney at the law firm of Malkin Baker in Chicago. We are Christian attorneys focusing on serving the body of Christ with its legal needs. To learn more about us, go to malkbaker.com. That's M-A-U-C-K-B-A-K-E-R.com. Or call us at 312-726-1243. In the push for transgender accommodations, business dress code policies bring the latest challenges. Today, we'll be speaking with Jim Campbell, who serves as senior counsel with Alliance Defending Freedom, where he has worked on religious freedom cases such as Masterpiece Cake Shop versus Colorado Civil Rights Commission, where he successfully defended cake artist Jack Phillips, who was sued for declining to design a custom wedding cake celebrating a same-sex marriage. Currently, Jim is involved in the case before the U.S. Supreme Court involving a Michigan funeral home that is being challenged over its enforcement of a sex-specific dress code. Uh, Jim, welcome to our show. Thanks for having me. Jim, I want to start. um, If you could tell us a little bit more about Alliance Defending Freedom, or ADF, as we like to um, call you guys, and, and the work that ADF does. Yeah, so Alliance Defending Freedom has been around for 25 years now. Um, We are an organization that operates largely out of the D.C. area and then out of uh, Arizona. Uh, We focus on defending religious freedom and defending freedom of speech. Um, We also have an international presence as well, and we have approximately uh, 10 international offices. Um, So, yeah, we do whatever we can here in the U.S. and abroad to defend religious freedom for people of faith. And ADF finds itself at the Supreme Court quite often, I would say, and most recently involving a case um, uh, involving your your client, Harris Funeral Homes. Uh, Jim, can you tell us more about your client and um, who who your client is? Sure. Uh, Harris Funeral Homes is a fifth-generation family business. Uh, They operate in the Detroit, Michigan area. Uh, their mission is simple. They exist to serve grieving families um, and to do so in their times of, of greatest need. Um, the organization has always ha- always had professional codes of conduct, professional codes of dress. And so in 2007, they hired a male funeral director um, to work in that position. And that funeral director agreed to comply with all the policies, including the dress code. And then approximately six years later, that employee uh, walked up to our client, the owner of the funeral home, and said that um, he intended to start uh, dressing and presenting as a woman uh, while working with grieving families. Uh, That was something that our client took a little bit of time to consider. Uh, He he considered the interests of that employee. He considered also the interest of his his other employees. his, his coworkers and the interest of the grieving families that they serve. And he, and he just came to the conclusion that he couldn't agree 
to go along with this plan. Um, and so unfortunately, that resulted in a lawsuit that the EEOC, the Federal Equal Employment Opportunity Commission, filed against our client. And as you said, we're now before the U.S. Supreme Court. Tell us a little bit, Jim, if you can, what did this dress code policy say? So our client has a, a sex-specific dress code, and it's it's also position-specific. And so for funeral directors, uh, male funeral directors are supposed to wear a, a male suit, so a suit jacket and pants, and female funeral directors wear a, a, a skirt suit. Um, so that's, that's it. It's pretty basic. It's pretty simple. And one of the interesting things is that the EEOC actually has a compliance manual where they, they acknowledge that employers can have policies that require men to wear ties, for example, and women to wear uh, dresses or skirts, and that that is something that's consistent with federal law, and it's okay. Um, so that's exactly what our client does. The, the, what the EEOC and the federal government is arguing against us in this case is they're essentially taking the position, well, it's okay for you to have one of these policies, but you can't apply it based on your employee's sex. In other words, you have to apply it based on the gender identity that they, that they identify with and then the sex that they consider themselves to be. So that's really the rub in this case. And, and our argument is, well, no, employers have to be able to rely on something objective like an employee's sex when administering sex-specific policies, whether that's a dress code as in this case, or whether that's just access to, to restrooms and locker rooms and other facilities like that that many workplaces have. And so the EEOC uh, is the one that, that brought the case, correct? And um, did they bring it in, in federal court initially, or what was the, the first step here? Sure. So yes, they 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 did. Um, they file a lawsuit against Harris Funeral Homes in federal court. Um, and one of the the most interesting facts in the whole case is, as it hasn't developed now that we're at the U.S. Supreme Court, the federal government has changed its position and now supports us and agrees that the law doesn't doesn't allow the government to punish our client. But uh, in the meantime. Uh, the American Civil Liberties Union, the ACLU, has intervened in the case on behalf of the former employee, and so now they're continuing the case against our client. You're listening to Lawyers for Jesus. I'm Soren Lehu of the law firm of Malkin Baker. If you missed part of this episode or want to hear previous Lawyers for Jesus interviews, visit malkbaker.com. Uh, today we've been speaking with Jim Campbell, Senior Counsel with Alliance Defending Freedom, about his case, ADF's case, uh, involving uh, Harris Funeral Homes, which is now before the U.S. Supreme Court. Uh, so, Jim, did this uh, started at the federal court, and what did the the trial court uh, hold um, in uh, in its uh, decision at the trial court? We. Um urged the trial court that it should find that there wasn't a violation of federal law, and we raised a number of issues. One of the arguments we raised below was that our client um, is uh, a Christian. He's a, a man of faith, and he 
has a religious objection uh, in addition to just wanting to enforce his dress code. He also has a religious objection to allowing one of his representatives to um, dress as the opposite sex while while representing his organization. Um, and so we won at the trial court on that basis. There was a religious liberty claim that you can't force an employer to uh, do something that conflicts with their religious beliefs, which as, as we, we argued, that's exactly what this would do by forcing him to allow a male funeral director to dress and present as a woman. Right. And so then, uh, obviously, uh, the case got appealed to, I believe that would be the Sixth Circuit uh, Court of Appeals. And did the Sixth Circuit agree with, uh, with your position? The Sixth Circuit did not. The Sixth Circuit found that um, our client had, in fact, engaged in impermissible discrimination, and the Sixth Circuit redefined the word sex in federal law to mean gender identity, um, and it really ushered in a significant change in federal law uh, and, and created uh, difficulties and a lot of ambiguities and uncertainty for employers. Um, so at that point, we filed a request with the U.S. Supreme Court asking uh, our nation's highest court to take this case up and to clarify for everyone that business owners should be free to rely on what the law says, not on what an agency like the EEOC wishes it says. And so the EEOC is just trying to use this case to take the word sex in federal non-discrimination law and to redefine it to mean and include gender identity. So what they're trying to do is achieve a political goal through the courts, and that's not uh, the proper view of the courts. In fact, if they want to change the law, they should go to Congress and change it. The issue here is what does the law mean, and it never was intended to mean what the, what the other side is claiming. That's right. And the U.S. Supreme Court uh, decided that um, it was a case they wanted to hear, and it was a substantial enough issue. Now, uh, for the benefit of our listeners, uh, Jim, uh, not every case gets to the Supreme Court. How does how does a case get all the way up there? And what are some of the things that the Supreme Court looks for in determining whether to uh, grant a petition for sorcerary, as as we like to say? So the the court is looking for important issues. Um, it's also looking for issues that that the lower courts throughout the country have disagreed on. And so when it looked at our case, it found that this is a very important question. It's an important question because it deals with a a federal employment law that that applies throughout the whole country. Um, it's also important because when you redefine the term sex in federal law to mean gender identity, it creates significant chaos and confusion. And so the Supreme Court found it, it fit to, to, to weigh in on this case to decide this very important question. That's right. And so uh, there's a lot more that we're going to get into um, specific to uh, the case. And uh, Jim, do you know what percentage of, of cases get to the Supreme Court? Is it uh, 1% or less? Yeah, it's it's just under one percent was the, the last statistic that I saw. The the court gets just over eight thousand, nine thousand requests a year, maybe even over ten thousand, and it grants about eighty or so a year. So um, so yeah, the the odds of getting cases before the Supreme Court are 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 low statistically speaking. And so what you need to do is try to find those those important questions. Um, that the that the court really needs to take, and and that will improve the chances whenever you can take a case like that up there. 
And ADF has been quite successful in this. I, I believe in the last uh, five or ten years, ADF has had a number of cases. Uh, do you recall off the top of your head how many in the last few years? So I believe it is um, since 2011 we've won eight cases before the U.S. Supreme Court. So we're, we're on a pretty good run and we're hoping to make it nine here with this one. That's great. Coming up, we will talk further with Jim Campbell about his current case before the U.S. Supreme Court and what could happen based on the ruling. I'm Soren Lehu, and this is Lawyers for Jesus. Sometimes, Jesus used the law to make a difference, and so must we. In his book, Jesus in the Courtroom, author and attorney John Mauck shows us how to engage our modern legal system for the good of the kingdom. Jesus in the Courtroom discusses the need for faith-filled lawyers in order to protect the church and what good can happen when we partner with Christian legal professionals. To order your copy of Jesus in the Courtroom, find it at Moody Publishers or go to JesusInTheCourtroom.com. Welcome back to Lawyers for Jesus. I'm Soren Lehu, an attorney at Malkin Baker, a law firm based in Chicago, which serves churches, ministries, businesses, and individuals in their legal needs. If you missed the first part of the show and want to listen online, go to malkbaker.com forward slash radio. Today, we've been speaking with Jim Campbell, senior counsel with Alliance Defending Freedom, about the Harris funeral case before the U.S. Supreme Court. Uh, Jim, Harris Funeral, uh, your client, um, has a specific dress code policy. And why is it important for your client to uh, uphold this policy? Well, it's important for uh, any employer to have the clarity to be able to rely on existing law. And so existing law said that Harris Funeral Homes could have a sex-specific policy and and all it did in in uh, in doing what it did in this case was rely on that and rely on existing law, and that's important for any of us to be able to do. Um, and so, under these circumstances, there's an additional reason too, and that is uh, this sex-specific dress code exists to ensure that grieving families are able to focus on each other and uh, the deceased and their grief and getting through this difficult process and that they're not going to be focused on the employees of the funeral home. So that's why it exists. It serves a very important purpose in helping people um, move through the grieving process and helping employees of the funeral home to, to blend into the background. And Title Seven plays uh a key role in this litigation. Could you explain for our listeners what Title VII is and and what does Title VII say relevant to this case? Title VII is a federal uh, employment law that prohibits discrimination based on things like race and religion and sex. Um, One of the ironies of this case is that by trying to redefine the word sex in Title VII, um, the, our opponents in this case are really trying to create uh, unfair situations for employers and women and girls. And so, for example, if the word sex is redefined in Title VII to mean gender identity, then that's going to undermine oppor- equal opportunities for women. So, for example, men who identify as women will be able to take uh, women's opportunities in the workplace or on the athletic field. Um, as as the law is redefined. So that's why it's very important that the Supreme Court get this issue right because the ramifications of it reach far and wide throughout our society. 
And this is a, a tricky issue, um, distinction between sex and, and gender. What, what's the, the proper way of, of distinguishing between the two? Yeah, so sex is, is just basic biology, right? It's, it's, it's whether you're male or female based on biological anatomy and chromosomes and things of that nature. But gender identity is very different. It's not objective. It's a subjective thing. It's a fluid concept. Uh, it's difficult to determine, and it's just somebody declaring based on their own personal beliefs about their own I identity, whether they're male or female. It's very difficult for uh, employers to take stock of that, and it also creates chaos and unworkable situations, um, not only for employers, but also throughout, throughout uh, society more generally. And Jim, I think you touched on this, but... Uh, in addition to some of the ramifications that you mentioned, it, it is also problematic if you have uh, courts or unelected officials rewrite what is in the text of, of the statute. Isn't that right? That's, that's absolutely right. I mean, in this case, it's, it's a federal agency that is trying to achieve a political goal by redefining what the law means. But if they're able to do that in this case, then they can do it in other cases, and then no one can rely on the law if the government, government officials can just change it at their whim. So that's why that's another very important aspect of this case is that business owners and frankly, the rest of us citizens should be able to rely on existing laws. We shouldn't have the rug pulled out from under us and have the law changed and be punished for doing something that existing law allowed us to do. And Jim, does that set up the, the Supreme Court with an avenue for making either a narrow ruling or a broad ruling, uh, perhaps a ruling simply on, on whether the law can be rewritten without getting into gender identity and, and, and sex issues? Um, I, I think the Supreme Court um, could go in a number of different ways. It could say that this is simply a policy question that is not within our domain, and, and if somebody wants to change the law, they should go to Congress. But I think the Supreme Court could also highlight a number of the significant concerns that result from redefining sex to mean gender identity. And they could look at the question and they can say, well, there's a lot of good, reasonable um, basis for not wanting to bring about this change. And so for those good, reasonable reasons, um, then this is a question that should be within Congress's domain and not within the courts. Uh, Jim, you, you mentioned uh, one of the ramifications of, of redefining um, the statute in such a way pours over into other areas of life. And uh, women's athletics was, was one of the areas you touched on. Could you elaborate a little bit more and, and tell us what's going on in that area? Yeah, so there there is a, a very similar federal law that uh, we've been talking about, Title VII, which is an employment non-discrimination law, but there's also something called Title IX, which prohibits uh, sex-based discrimination in the school context and including school sports. So if the Supreme Court redefines what sex and sex discrimination means in Title VII, then it's only a short step to do it in this other law that also prohibits sex discrimination. And if that happens, then women and girls on athletic teams are going to be forced to compete with 
men or boys who identify as the opposite sex. And and what we've seen in, for instance, recently in the state of Connecticut is that that's not fair. It results in in boys who identify as girls largely winning all of the events, uh, and specifically in track and field is what we've seen in Connecticut. And and that's that's not fair to anyone. It's certainly not fair to the women and girls who are working very hard, trying to compete, trying to earn places on the podium, trying to earn athletic scholarships. And so um, so that's one of the ramifications that's at stake in a case like this. You're listening to Lawyers for Jesus. I'm Soren Lehu of Malkin Baker, and we're talking to Jim Campbell, Senior Counsel with Alliance Defending Freedom, about the uh, ADF's case, uh, Harris Funeral. Uh, before the U.S. Supreme Court. Uh, Jim, are there any other ramifications? I know we've touched on a, on a couple. Um, what else do you see uh, potential consequences to this kind of redefinition? I, I would point out two two other things. The one would be uh, ramifications to freedom of religion. So, for example, um, if if the courts are going to read gender identity into the law, then what is that going to mean for a religious organization? If a religious organization wants to make uh, employment decisions uh, consistent with their views about uh, sex and what it means to be male and female, now all of a sudden they're going to have a federal law that might tell them otherwise. And, and that raises a host of questions of, about what religious organizations can do and what they cannot do and is there protection under the Constitution and is there is there not. It, it, it raises a host of issues that if Congress could address this issue themselves, they could weigh in on that. And that's another reason why the court shouldn't do it themselves. And then the, la- the, the other point that I would highlight is it raises free, free speech concerns. Um, where these laws, these gender identity laws have been put into place, uh, people in the workplace have been punished for uh, declining to refer to men who identify as women um, by their biological pronouns and terms related to those. And, and they've been forced to use um, language and to I, I acknowledge someone as being of the opposite sex, even though that might violate someone's either religious beliefs or just, just their conscience uh, for other reasons. So there, there are a host of issues that are on the line here, which again, just further highlight why this is not, this change is not a good idea and why if it's ever going to happen, Congress needs the opportunity to consider it. Yes, it's a very important case and one that we're going to have to watch uh, going forward, have oral arguments been scheduled for this case? They have. They have. They are scheduled for October eighth. And have uh, have all the briefs been submitted and uh, amicus and all of that uh, completed, or is there still some briefing left to be done? The, uh, everything except the reply briefs. So those will be filed in a few weeks. But all the the main briefs on both sides have been filed, and and we we feel confident that we've. We've put together a good case, and we've made it clear that all Americans, including business owners, should be able to rely on what the law says and that this idea of redefining sex to mean gender identity is a bad idea and will create chaos throughout the law. And do you know when the Supreme Court might issue its ruling? Well, as we we see most years, the Supreme Court likes to hold the most controversial decisions until the end of the term, which the end of the term, this this upcoming term will be June of, of 2020. So there's a chance that the decision could, could um, not come until then. Um, but certainly the court could decide it a few months earlier than that if, if it's ready to. That's right. Jim, thank you for speaking with us today. How can people learn more about 
Alliance Defending Freedom, and your case, Harris Funeral Homes. I would encourage people to go to our website at um, adflegal.org. That's adflegal.org. They can find out about our organization, what we're up to, what we're doing at the Supreme Court, and they can learn more about our client, Harris Funeral Homes. Thank you, Jim. If you have a legal need or a question and want the perspective of a local Christian attorney, contact us at Malkin Baker. You can reach us at 312-726-1243 or at malkbaker.com. That's M-A-U-C-K-B-A-K-E-R.com. Visit our website to subscribe to our Religious Liberty Newsletter with legal updates or call us and mention Lawyers for Jesus for a free consultation. Thanks for listening. I'm Soren Lehu, attorney at Mock and Baker, and this is Lawyers for Jesus. Gonna have to serve somebody. Yes, indeed, you're gonna have to serve somebody. 